hello and welcome to Who Are You? This is a Babylon 5 Watchcast hosted by two former strangers, now friends. We've gotten to know each other while we're watching a classic show from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Jafer. And I'm Laura. And we're going to do a little recasting today. Yeah. Who are we going to recast? What's the occasion? Ivanova is definitely the occasion. We're going to recast Claudia Christensen as this is her second to last episode in the show. We know that from she's not in season five. And also her last real full performance, she is not in a lot of the next episode. The bits she's in the next episode are great, but it felt right to do the recasting for her here while we still had a chance. Sure. And also, you know, the writer's strike just ended. Hooray! They're still striking in solidarity with SAG, the, the Screen Actors Guild is still striking, but terms were reached for the Writers Guild, so the reboot could theoretically might see some progress soon so it seems pertinent to talk about once again there's a lot of shows breathing a little easier today i think yeah so ivanova you want me to go first yeah well i can go first okay so for ivanova there's a couple of key character points that i think you you and i both hit on that were important to us right the main one i think for me being that the character of Susan Ivanova is a Jewish character. And that is not something that Claudia Christian identifies with as far as I know. Yeah. (laughs) Christian would be a really weird last name for a Jewish (laughs) person, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'm sure it's happened. I'm sure it's out there. And I think that's awesome, but it's a little (laughs) amusing, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Anyway. So I wanted to look at actresses that had that background or identified that way in order to start my search for the next Ivanova, right? And I landed on a very talented actress, Zoe Kravitz. So Zoe Kravitz, all right. Zoe Kravitz is, her parents are half American, half Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. And she does identify as a secular Jew, which I think is a big part of Ivanova, right? She's not a yeah. super religious Jewish person. And we see a little growth with that, especially in the early seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a personal state of being or journey that if that were to happen in the reboot, that Zoe Kravitz could identify with that in ways that maybe other actresses wouldn't have as much of a personal connection to. And then, you know, being part of the Kravitz family, being the daughter of Lenny Kravitz, I feel like if we felt a reason for this character to ever have like a singing moment where Mm -hmm. she uh, sings some sort of folk song or something, she'd be really good at it. And I was also looking at her background on Wikipedia, and it does say that her paternal grandfather's family immigrated from the Ukraine. They were Ashkenazi Jewish. Okay. So I was like, okay, there's a connection to that, like Eastern European descent Mm -hmm. and also the very important Jewish background. So I feel like she would be a great Ivanova. Also, at the time of recording, she is age 34. So I think that's about when you could be a commander, right? Yeah. In Earth Force. I feel like it's a good get. Yeah, I went down a similar line, but down the other side, I focused on Ivanova's Russian heritage. 
okay. over her Jewish heritage and thinking, once again, Claudia Christian, not something that she uh, identifies with. So mm-hmm. following that line, I looked at, started to look at Russian actresses and I'm like, well, Russia is a very different country now than it was in 1995. Yeah. In several ways, in, I think. In a number of ways. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, what if we do Eastern European, but we go with Ukrainian instead of Russian for a number of reasons. <laughs> and that led me to someone who we know can kick ass, we know can deliver a one-liner, and is of a Ukrainian-Russian heritage, uh, back, uh, was born in the USSR days, and that's Mila Jovovich. Oh, very nice. Significantly older than Claudia Christian was when she took that role, but whatever. That's not a deal breaker at all. Yeah, I feel like we have expanded on acceptable age in Hollywood since the 90s as well. True. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, Mila Jovovich would be a really interesting Ivanova. I know that she gets some flack for being wooden as an actress. But I think part of that is also the roles she gets cast for are not exactly particularly known for being well-written the the Resident Evil movies aren't a hallmark of Hollywood writing quality. Are you, are you <laughs> sure you don't want her for lease then? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? It's Lise. <laughs> we will not be recasting Lise. Let us know when you hear it, dude. <laughs> uh Wonderful. I think we've got some great choices here. Yeah, I'm pretty you happy know, Get with them that. on the phone. Let's make this thing happen. Right. Let's get this reboot moving as soon mm-hmm. as the Screen Actors Guild strike is over. Yeah, uh, once, once they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once, we're, once we're sure that we're paying everyone and being fair and not yes. digitally replacing people without paying them all the time. Correct. Yes. All that stuff. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, we've got Babylon 5, Season 4, Episode 20, Endgame. We open on Marcus sitting with Ivanova. He clearly has not slept in a while. Yeah. I don't know how much of this is the HD remaster showing me details that were there the entire time or how much of it is me (laughs) paying attention at a I'm writing notes about this show as I'm watching it level. But he is just done to a point where he looks more well rested in other parts of the episode. Like he gets his standard makeup stuff. They clearly did him up here. Yeah. Delenn comes in to tell him that a transport has arrived to take Ivanova to Babylon 5. Marcus objects. Uh, she would want to be present for the battle. Delenn insists, and Marcus leaves. Yeah. Do you think that if Delenn had decided that, okay, she would want to be here for this and she had stayed, that any of the rest of what happens at the end of this episode would have happened? Maybe. Because the impetus isn't her going to Babylon 5. The impetus is the conversation with Lanier in a couple Mm -hmm. of scenes. Yeah. How does Lanier know about this? That's a good question. We'll we'll talk about it when we get there, but I would have to imagine that when you find a weird alien device that does things, you ask the Mimbari. It's all like, hey, have you guys seen (laughs) this thing before? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Mimbari have been around the block. They know some things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like okay. you, you I, ever I, encountered I this machine? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we can talk about that more when we get there. But yeah, Franklin does our next diary entry as we've gone through most of the command staff at this point. 
as the plan for the cryogenically frozen telepaths is laid out to us. They're being loaded onto destroyers in the fleet above Mars, one per ship. As we watched this episode, I realized I didn't really get how the war with Earth ended when I was a kid. I was like, I don't really remember this. Like, I know I watched it, but it's one of those things that I didn't have enough context to really grasp all the things that were happening. Yeah. And as I'm grasping what's happening with these telepaths as a 37-year-old woman, this is pretty monstrous. (laughs) Yes. So I referenced it back when we got to it a number of episodes ago, but the episode where they thaw out one of these telepaths on Babylon 5 and it starts to mess with the station yes, mm -hmm. was the episode I had missed. I had never seen it until my watch through in 2020. That also seems like important context. (laughs) And so that in tandem with this is just like... Well, yeah, they're okay. So these telepaths are going to mess with the ship. Sure, they met telepaths mess with ships, whatever. And there's like a shot of one entangled in this mm-hmm. episode. And that just had never made sense to me. Like, I had yeah, just like, not Why? had the threats, like, whoa, <laughs> what's going on there? And it's <laughs> never explained. And I'm just like, so yeah, having mm-hmm. the full context of everything as an adult, I definitely missed it as a kid. And I don't know that I would have. I don't think I would have been able to morally grasp what was going on, even if I had the context for what is in the plot happening, which I had missed. Right. Yeah. It's the moral thing that I guess I saw all these bits and pieces, but I did not grasp what it really meant. And it makes you wonder, like, like, I think all of us and our listeners would probably try not to kill 30 people as weapons, like if we can. Yeah. In some sort of a battle. Would they have ever been able to really rescue these telepaths from their condition, do you think? Well, Franklin definitively says no. <laughs> yeah. Franklin is but... like, we need Psycor and Earth to be able to save these people. They are lost without Earth being free. And so yeah. them dying here to free Earth only enables the rest of them. We find out in the next episode, slight spoilers, that they only took 30. They had 100. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. And then there's also some lip service paid by Sheridan to they all didn't have families. No, none, of the, none of these have kids. They don't. Their parents are all dead and stuff. These are all well, orphans of some variety who are completely isolated and removed. Because the telepath's life is either one in the psychor or one of constant struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. And I feel like that's pointed at Bester when they have that conversation in the next episode. But we'll get to that later. In the that's, next that, we'll get to that in the next episode. Look at me trying to go ahead. And I haven't even watched the next episode. I know you've had to like get some things ready. but Yeah, I literally finished my notes on it right before we sat down. I had yeah. eight minutes to eat quick lunch <laughs> before recording. Yeah. So <laughs> it, was, it was moving pretty quick there. Um, but yeah, Franklin goes through... Uh, his mental gymnastics here too. I think he does that in a little bit when they get activated and they're explaining what's going on. So we'll talk about that. Franklin is our conscience. For sure. The one who's going to bring up these questions. Yeah, it is a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) I would expect, um, honestly, Lita. Right. To be the one who's all like, 
we're doing this thing. It's terrible. I'm especially I'm doing this thing to my people. Yes, she needs she deserves to have a little more like reckoning mm-hmm. with it than just putting on the headset. Like that's all we really see from her this episode. We see yeah. headset, we see eyes. It's a shame too, because she should have the most interesting perspective having being used in the same way by the Vorlons that these people were used by the shadows. Like hers opinion is the one I am most interested in hearing about this. Yeah. And we don't get it. No. It's a little disappointing. We might in season five, there might be some reckoning there with her as she becomes more of an important character in the coming episodes, but I don't recall it offhand. So Mm -hmm. Garibaldi is scouting out the secondary target. Mm-hmm. They all have seven dwarf call signs and he's grumpy. Obviously. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Okay, so we have grumpy and Doc, and I think he said sleepy. Yeah. Sleepy being Lita? I don't know. Sleepy is probably Lita. Doc is clearly Doc Franklin. Yeah, obvi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's too good. The whole mm-hmm. setup. We see some cargo shuttles making it to the destroyers to theme. Uh, When we come back, we are at our secondary target and the Mars resistance takes this military base that is being used by their oppressors. And we find all the crew on the Mars surface is in here as Franklin starts prepping that device for Lita. Hey, so when they like get rid of the military folks, do they just throw them outside or do they throw them in a closet? I wasn't clear. Well, they shot a handful of them. <laughs> yeah, but there were some that they were just like shoved out a door, I thought. Maybe I No, didn't no, you're right. No, they I have to think that you shoot someone rather than space someone effectively. I would hope. Like both from a mercy reason because that's got to be a really shitty way to die on the Martian surface. Because unlike space, there is an atmosphere. It is very cold. You will freeze to death and you will be conscious for a chunk of it. Right. We do see the like parka hoodie that Garibaldi is wearing to stay warm on the Mars surface. And you need oxygen and stuff because there is oxygen, but it's not enough to breathe enough to maintain function. So you'd pass out very, you know, you it it would be miserable. And then also like by just shoving them out the airlock while they're still alive. They are now an unknown. You have taken a known quantity and made it an unknown quantity in a very tense and tight military situation. That's also a bad idea. Yeah. So I got to imagine they got locked up in a closet somewhere or they just got shot by other people as soon as they were thrown out the door. Yeah. You just can't have unknowns like that in a situation like this. The unknown unknown. Yeah. Especially when like Lita's like, oh, I have to go outside. It's like, oh, no, that's where we threw the soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, you've got to climb over a big pile of bodies. <laughs> oh. uh. Let's make this even more traumatic for poor Lita. Right. God, she is the O'Brien of this show. Yeah. She is suffering. Yes, constantly. Poor Lita. Man. Over on the Agamemnon. Uh, Sheridan broadcasts to the fleet the plan and the layout for the attack. Phase one kicks in when Garibaldi gives the all clear. And after this, we're introduced to General Leftcourt on the Apollo, who is played by J. Patrick McCormick, okay. who right after this was the general in Armageddon. Oh, really? This is hysterical because I did not feel like this man was 
general enough. <laughs> this guy has made a career out of being a general in sci-fi. Really? There was one line where I was like, now that should have been delivered yelling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't believe you, my man. Tell me what, tell me more. Uh, well, he had a role in Space Above and Beyond, which our friends over at Yum Yum are covering right now. Go listen oh, to Yum Yum fun. Podcast. Yeah. Free plug for you guys. He's got a few Star Trek credits, all kinds of stuff. The one that made me laugh the most of going over his IMDb DB page was he was the Dean and Van Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like white guy in charge all over. Yep. Yeah, he looks like he's about to give me a, a judgment on a parking ticket. Like, yeah. that's the vibe I get from him. Yeah, yeah. We learned that he taught Sheridan tactics at the Academy, which was why he was put in charge of the Destroyer group. Oh, yeah. He formed that little mind. Maybe he can yeah. know what it's going to do. Sure. Yeah. Over on Mars, Lita is all set. She just needs to go outside to remove the obstacles and her psychic link, despite her having not needed to see shit for a number of other times she's done stuff like this. Well, maybe she just doesn't want them to know. It's a cool shot. Yeah. <laughs> the shot of her out on Mars doing the thing on the Martian surface is a good shot. So yeah. I will give the story um, a little leeway on uh, not making sense with itself uh, in order to uh, give us a cool scene, which honestly yeah. happens in this episode as well um, with Franklin's logs. But we'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. I do think that it would make sense if Lita had a little more beef in her writing sometimes that she would like be obviously trying to downplay some of her powers yeah, and like hide herself a little more. That would make sense. Yeah. Marcus and Linear talk for a moment and he almost says everything, but Marcus has to settle for just a little bit too much when Garibaldi's signal is received. Yeah. What do you mean, Linear? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then we get the same trick, but the third time, opening a jump gate inside of an atmosphere. Uh, Ooh. This time exiting instead of opening inside of one. Yeah, right. As Marcus's White Star flies in and takes out Martian missile defenses. Left Court knows the attack on Mars' surface is a distraction and holds formation. But he also realizes that he is missing a piece from the puzzle. There has to be something he doesn't know that Sheridan has planned. Yeah. To be this bold. And then we cut to Lita, who gets the word to activate the cryogenic teeps. Franklin explains the plan to a member of the Mars Resistance as it is being executed. He explains his ethical qualms and how he navigated them. 30 lives for 30,000. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a trolley know. problem, but at, le at least if you're going to play a trolley problem game, at least you did the one that saves the most lives, I guess. Yeah, it's a trolley problem, but it also still feels like... They made the just, trolley. <laughs> it feels like we just decided, you know, as part of this war effort, we're going to strap bombs to homeless people sort of thing and Man. send them in somewhere. I... Just went and saw The Creator, which is a new movie that came out two days ago as of recording. Oh, yes. I think I've seen ads for this or heard ads for this. Um, and it's Tell very like AI war, stuff like that, right? Uh -huh. There is a scene where the U.S. Army, who is the bad guys in this movie, like it is not even a question. It is the movie is a 
basically a Vietnam War movie with the U.S. as the bad guys in a lot mm. of ways. But there's a scene where they have the U.S. Army uses what I can only describe as robot suicide bombers. It's like a giant bomb on legs and you're talking to it and it's like, okay, go here. And then the robots are like, it was a pleasure serving with you and then runs and explodes. Oh, that! but that is so dark. <laughs> Especially in a movie about AI sentience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you're just like, oh God, yeah. Yeah, this felt like that in a lot of ways. You've unwillingly turned people into suicide bombers. Yeah. Because these people were not conscious. They did not consent. Mm -hmm. It it feels like taking someone who is incapable of consenting for maybe mental illness reasons or something and strapping a bomb to them and putting them where you want them. It just feels really gross. It is really gross. It's disgusting. It should feel disgusting. It's morally reprehensible. And to have the person who is like touts themselves as the paragon of morality on the show uh-huh. regardless of their actions saying otherwise a number of times to be the one who's all like oh i'm doing it but i'm mad as hell but i understand that it's this trade-off and these things and this stuff and it's just like <sighs> yeah uh, it, you know what came to my mind when lady morella said that we tell ourselves we have no choice only to console ourselves with the choice that we've made. Yeah, that came to my mind watching this episode. Yeah. And watching Franklin. (sighs) Yep, that's a good call out. The fleet jumps in over Mars, and 25 of the destroyers are immediately out of the fight, leaving 10 out of the 35. The White Stars begin to target the engines and weapons to disable those ships. We see the Apollo find the Teep on their ship, and we get sci-fi blue-themed lightning as they open fire. Marcus uses the White Star's Internet Explorer install to bing something, so he's going to have to wait a few minutes for some results. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then the Resistance fleet, having disabled the destroyers, jumps from Mars to Earth, having taken care of the majority of Mars' defenses and knowing that they are not luring themselves into being pincered. We won't have a war on two fronts here. We've disabled one front entirely. Almost entirely, yeah. Yep. Marcus learns of the alien machine from season one via Franklin's logs and orders a shuttle to be prepped. Yeah, and you think at this moment that shuttle will carry him back to Babylon 5, but no. No, no, no. (laughs) That is too slow. Yeah, yeah. Marcus needs to get there fast, y'all. So this is a bit of a continuity gap, a canon gap, as it were. Dr. Franklin is making logs about Marcus's recovery from his fight with Darun in here. Uh-huh. He was on walkabout then. Oh, whoops. <laughs> is he just going back through all the records, having to make logs about it <laughs> once he comes back? Like he's got a month of reports stacked up on his desk and he's just reading them into a camera. <laughs> Man, I would understand all their complaints about paperwork in that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we cut and Lanier arrives on Delenn's cruiser. To have him nice and distracted as Marcus runs off with the White Star to Babylon 5. Yeah, that shuttle was for getting rid of Lanier. Yep. (laughs) 
clutch move. <laughs> Delenn fills Sheridan in on the details, but they can't do anything about it as they are at Earth. It is time to attack. Yeah. Sheridan hails the planet and gives an okay inspirational speech. It's probably, it is not his best work. I tell you what, when I think of inspirational speeches from Babylon 5, I think of, he is behind me, you are in front of me, mm -hmm. or God sent me. God sent I do you. not think of this speech, y'all. <laughs> um, occasionally a get the hell out of our galaxy. Oh, yes. yes That's yes. a good one. And then uh, mm -hmm. the one he gives about coming together to fight the shadows in the Zocalo. That's another good yeah, one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the one next episode <laughs> <laughs> is way better than this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's fine. Uh, it's enough for Clark, though. Clark, hearing this, turns on the planetary defense grid. He writes a note and takes his own life before he is captured. Uh, his note only says the ascension of the ordinary man, but has scorched earth circled on the letters. This is, of course, an homage to Dr. Strangelove, uh, this whole sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, and, is, okay. and is noted as such, the director of this episode is a big fan. So, did yeah. this homage. Well, yeah, that is a nice dovetail, episode, or a dovetail movie into this episode's themes. Yeah. So. Now, the ascension of the ordinary man. They don't talk about this at all in the show. Okay. Uh, lay, us, lay it on us. Ascension is an interesting word choice. Uh -huh. Okay. This seems like something Cartagia could write, almost, if it wasn't, uh, if it was a little bit more self-flattering. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously Cartagia was no ordinary man. We know that he was promised godhood by the shadows and allied their government, much like Clark allied their government. Do you think Clark was promised godhood by the shadows as well? <gasps> Oh, yeah. I did sit here and wonder, like, if this scorched earth thing was some sort of shadows messing with his brain. Yeah. This is the exact thing with Centauri Prime. Cartagia is going to ascend to godhood and destroy the planet as his mark of ascension. And here Clark yeah. turns the defense grid on the planet and writes the ascension of the ordinary man. So I was so curious about this scorched earth thing, because I was like, man, I don't remember if we ever find out like where the shadows fucking with his mind, like what was his mm -hmm. logic behind the scorched earth? Like not that people who are doing these things have logic. Yeah. So I went and I Googled president Clark scorched earth, just those four words, mm -hmm. just seeing what the internet would hit me. And I found a terribly interesting post that I would like to read for you, okay. if you have the time. Of course. This is from a discussion forum that was called JMS News. Maybe it's still active. I'm not sure. I didn't actually like poke into it. Yeah. I just read this thing and started laughing so hard that I had to share it with my husband immediately. And he was <laughs> like, wow, this is great. Okay. Let's okay. hear it. So this is a post from October 15th of 2020. Oh, more recent than I was expecting. Yeah, right? Well, here's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the title, President Clark and Trump Scorched America. <laughs> this person says, first of all, I want to say I hope I do not offend anyone with this topic. I'm not an American, but I've seen what is happening in the U.S. this year, 2020. Mm -hmm. I was watching the episode Endgame of Babylon 5. 
As we know, when the game is essentially up for Clark, he turned Earth's defense grid onto Earth and left the message, Scorched Earth. With things so volatile in the U.S., does anyone think the same kind of mentality might happen after the current U.S. election? Yikes. <laughs> Such severe October, writing. you said? October 15th. So this is two we- uh, three weeks before the election? Ugh. Such severe rioting could be triggered by either side's supporters. Worst case is if some comments could come from President Trump, if he loses, that could be viewed as a rallying cry for his hardcore supporters. I'm really hoping that if President Trump, in fact, does lose the election, that he doesn't send out tweets indicating something like, liberate America. I hope I'm wrong, but the potential of severe violence might be there. Any thoughts? A few. (laughs) There's like a few days of discussion on this topic. And then January 9th, 2021, the OP comes back and says, essentially... I'm really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) If there's a chance I willed this into existence. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was some chatter about how JMS is a very prescient writer. Yeah. So, (laughs) indeed, my man. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, that's crazy. That was some innocent fun Googling I had to share with you. (laughs) Well, after all this, we get a timer 10 minutes until the defense grid turns on and the planet takes out, turns on the planet and takes out 40% of the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, I assume that's 40% of the land surface. Sure. uh, Because actually, I didn't even think to check what percent of the earth is land. Good question. 29%. (laughs) So we're going to scorch some oceans too. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah maybe we've got undersea base maybe we have sea lab by now <laughs> yeah so this would be all life on earth probably most of it 40 sure, percent. Yeah. even if you were to target just 40 percent of the land mass and you took out the most populous 40 percent, i don't think that's something that humanity can necessarily make it back from given uh yeah. population density in some areas yeah at the very least not in a meaningful way but we'll talk about that in a couple episodes fun story (laughs) (laughs) so many pins we're putting in things today yeah Uh, but we get our timer 10 minutes all ships human and alien turn in to attack the grid and save the planet and i know it's a cool moment but how how is the agamemnon the only ship that can cover this one platform after its weapons are destroyed (laughs) Yeah. How is this possible? (laughs) When they're discussing what they've got to do, I'm like, how big could this thing really be? Like, this one satellite compared to the Agamemnon? It doesn't look that. I mean, the Agamemnon, this is like, oh, we're going to have to ram it, ramming speed, and they start running towards it. And the Apollo with General Lefcourt jumps out, blows it up, and is like, hey, we've been listening to everything. You were right. <laughs> and blows it up and saves the Agamemnon. But it looks like it's maybe like a quarter of the front of the ship. Yeah. I mean, if it's got a huge energy source on it, that could be a problem. It does make a big explosion. Yeah. But it it's, seems like. And the Agamemnon is pretty on fire at this point, it looked like. Yeah. This seems like the kind of thing that you could time 
the like artificial gravity spinning bit to hit maybe and get people out of there. There's like uh-huh. a minute of this ramming speed stuff. Like just get people out of the spinny thing. Assuming anyone lives uh-huh. in the spinny thing, you might yeah, not. Yeah. It might be where everyone is or that might be where no one is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good point. So hard to say. And yeah, it's just it's like, come on guys. <laughs> But whatever, I guess none of the other white stars or super fast ships or alien ships or anyone else who was attacking the rest of the defense grid around the planet, despite them being in formation when they jumped out, the Agamemnon leading that formation, meaning there was a ton of ships around it in a scene Mm -hmm. seconds ago. Whatever. It's fine. It's a cool scene. And another one I'm going to have to just say, okay, I guess we can disregard logic in the plot for the cool shot. Uh I get it. But that seems to be a lot of this episode. And when you look online about people talking about this episode, that is the number one thing. Is all like, this episode seems really rushed. And JMS would be all like, no, it's not rushed. This is the end of the arc. We're just trying to get to the end and do the thing so we can move on to the next stuff. It's not rushed. And it's like, we're not talking about the story, dude. (laughs) We're talking about the episode being rushed. The product, yeah. Um, but he was like all caps defending himself all the time about it. Yeah, I guess I can understand that. But at the same time, it's like, yes, dude, it is. Yeah. And he also says some shit that he contradicts himself significantly later where it's all like, this was always going to happen at this point. This was always the end. This was always going to be like this. This episode was never changed. And I'm just all like, we know you just compressed a chunk of a season into like three episodes, dude. You tell us that in like two mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. you can get off your high horse about it. Yeah. It's, it's psychology, right? Where you are kind of like having to defend yourself from things that you feel mm-hmm. inside. And so you go on the offensive a little bit yeah. on the outside. I don't know. Yeah. I get it. Um. So yeah, uh, the day is saved. Sheridan asked to come down to earth dome. Uh, ASAP as Franklin is trying to stop Marcus from suicide and gets on a white star and starts flying. Yeah. If you're Sheridan, do you go down to Earth Dome? <laughs> he knows he has to. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to go down to Earth Dome. I might hold out for a minute. I might go hang out with Delenn for an hour. I'd be like, nah, you guys come up here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference between a conqueror and a liberator. Yeah. Is you come to me or I come to you. Okay. We cut to ISN and one of our OG reporters is back at the desk. Oh, and she's choked up. Yeah, she's like in tears reporting Mm -hmm. finally back. It's nice to see. So she was in prison, right? Is that how we take this? Yes. Like, yeah. She looks great. (laughs) <laughs> they got hair and makeup people. Prison. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine like if you take over the media and you throw Dan Rather in a jail cell, you mm-hmm. keep him looking like Dan Rather in case you need him. That's a good point. Like these aren't the people necessarily that you torture and starve. Yeah. Because they you don't really need them for that. You don't need them for information. You need them for their face. So yeah. you gotta keep that face looking pretty. We get a report on Sheridan's attack without Clark's spin. It is very much spun towards Sheridan, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking fascists. <laughs> uh, 
calls to remember that they are all sons and daughters of Earth and we need to reconcile in order to heal. Uh, sure. We see Franklin reviewing his own logs until we cut to Babylon 5's med lab, ripped asunder, and Marcus is sacrificing himself for Susan. His last words, finally telling her that he loves her to credits. He beat some people up to get to yes. this machine and save there, her. Yeah, there are like, bodies. See at least one body. Yeah, there's someone <laughs> unconscious there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, as we were opening up on the scene, I was like, now how is this place empty? Like, it's med lab. You got to have like 30 people in here at all times, mm-hmm. right? Or it's a med lab. I think there might be more than one at this point. There's a few. It seems like logically you would have to have a few med labs, right? Yeah. But we only see the one guy on the floor, I think. It makes no but sense. Maybe, and even maybe he just scared the rest of them out. Like In the next know. episode, when we, we open, it will make even less sense. Okay, yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about season four, episode 21, Rising Star in a moment. Mm-hmm. But first yeah. we have to rate this episode on a scale of Babylon's one to five. Yeah, we do, don't we? I, this is another one of, the... I say this every time. We have these episodes that are just all plot. We made like mm-hmm. four jokes this episode. <laughs> Like, listener, I'm sorry. This is just us <laughs> running through the gauntlet of things that happen in this episode for the sake of... Well, now we can talk about it now that we've done the gauntlet. Yeah. Let's rehash the gauntlet. Yeah. But it's just like, episodes like this, I typically don't tend to enjoy. Yeah. It's all just the plot for the sake of the plot. A handful of interesting things happen, for sure. Uh, You know, there's some good stuff. There's a lot of last minute random shit. You know, but I mean, we just ran through this episode in 30 minutes, basically yeah. reading verbatim everything that happens to it without really stopping to talk about a whole lot of other stuff. That's how much staff stuff happens in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's packed and it's not bad. I don't think it's yeah. a bad episode at all, but it's also just like once you know everything that happens in this episode, you're good. There's no moments that are like, oh, I have to go back and see. Marcus telling Ivanova that I love you. That's the most impactful thing in this episode, I guess. Unless you're really into unwilling suicide bombers or Clark killing himself. (sighs) Like, what else are you going to come back to this episode for? And that's always been one of the hallmarks of which I try to rate episodes. Is this one that I would just go back and watch and enjoy? And the answer is definitively no. Yeah. Okay. So knowing that, it's still... A decent episode. I'm going to give it the straight middle of the road, three out of five. I would agree with three out of five. My logic is this, like, it's not bad, like you said, but there are so many things in it that if we could have spent more time on it, it would have been great. Yeah. Like these plot points would have been great. If we could have seen Lita grapple with her role in this a little bit more. Mm Mm-hmm. Like here on the front end, maybe there's going to be some hindsight later in season five, but I want to see it on the front end if we had gotten to spend more time with our general, I think, and have him be more of like a multi-episode antagonist Yeah, against Sheridan. If the whole scorched earth thing could have been a little bit clearer, like, like you said, I'd never even considered that his ascension that he wrote about could have been related to Cartage's ascension. I think now that you say that, I'm like, oh, 
this does feel pretty unhinged like that, but we haven't spent the same time with Clark, like in person that we spent with Cartagia. Yeah. Right. Like Clark has always been, we know what his face looks like. Yeah. Uh, We've seen him talk on a TV sometimes. Yeah, his face. But we've he's never always spent obscured. any time. Yeah, yeah, we've never spent any time with Clark, and I'm maybe that's deliberate. It, it must be deliberate. Honestly, this is a show that thinks about these things. Yeah. But for me, it made him a boogeyman versus a real villain, where Cartagia was real, a real villain. Yeah, like you felt it. That's a very you good knew way it. to say that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a statement about how. Some things get built up like boogeymen, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it could have been great. And if we had gotten to spend more time, maybe over multiple episodes with some of these story arcs, it would have been great. Mm-hmm. For me, this is kind of an average into the Earth war that I didn't even fully grasp the first time I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's that episode. Next week, we've got season four, episode 21, Rising Star. Marcus makes the ultimate sacrifice for Ivanova. Garibaldi rescues his former lover. Sheridan and Delenn's alliance, both personal and political, signals a new age of peace in the universe. Wow. It's a big episode. <laughs> so hopeful. Well, not for Marcus. <laughs> yeah, for everyone else, though. And yeah. it's helpful for us, too. We got Victor from DMT coming back, joining us next week. Yay! I'm so excited to have Victor with us again. Yes, me too. I, I think last time was a very funny episode, and I'm hoping mm-hmm. that it's a very funny episode again. I, th- I mean, I've already written all my jokes, so I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but <laughs> I think it's going to be a funny episode. I Definitely funnier than this one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we managed to be make more jokes in the torture episode. <laughs> what does that say about us as people, Jafar? <laughs> I don't want to think, think about it. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it just says that we're very good at coping with the dark times with a sense of humor. I think okay. that's what it says about that. us. <laughs> just like I'll take a thank you to Jeremy Siegel for composing our lovely theme music. Thank you, Jeremy. We really appreciate it. You can find more of Jeremy's work at jeremysegal42.bandcamp.com on your streaming services as Nuclear Jaguar. And once again, in our hearts, you're the only Jeremy Siegel who makes music. Yeah. The only Jeremy Siegel that matters at all. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. Thanks, Aaron, for editing our podcast and making us listenable and putting in the drops and saving us a ton of time by sacrificing your own. We really appreciate it. Doing all the real work right. on the podcast. <laughs> all the hard work for sure. Thank you to you, the listener as well for being here. We really enjoy when you spend 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it comes out to be with us talking about Babylon 5. Yeah. Join our community on discord and uh, interact with other like minded fans there. We're on Facebook. I'm about ready to kill the Twitter. We, we have moved over to yeah. Blue Sky. I turned off all of our Twitter integration for automated posting. Like, yeah. this might be, this might be it. I might go kill the Twitter later today or something. Or at the very <laughs> least, put out more of a notification of like, hey, we're on Blue Sky. Get over there. 
We're going scorched earth on Twitter. <laughs> Charting the self-defense gradient on Twitter. Elon Musk has done that. Yeah. That was not us. That was someone else. Right. Someone with the codes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if you were a better business person, you could buy a $25 billion business for $44 billion and turn it into an $8 billion business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Them's the business moves right, right there. Yeah. Such a genius, guys. I don't know how everyone doesn't just love and respect that guy. That was sarcasm. Fuck Elon Musk. And with that, we'll see you next week, Internet. Have a good one. Bye.